This is the story of Dom and Tom, written by Tom Fletcher and read by Andrew Stanson. This is Chapter 2. Part 9. Fisticuffs on Platform 2. Good morning, FFT, and what a fine morning it is. If there's any Arsenal fans in the office today, please do the honours for me and laugh long and loud in their direction. Anyway, the show must go on. London was different and opened our eyes to possibility. There was one problem, though. It was London, and we're very much Bradford-centric. All was not lost, as a nice little town over the Pennines called Manchester was soon to play host to Media City, the new BBC studios of the North. Just the thought of this aroused us both immensely. We also had a tip-off that Manchester was going to be hosting a Radio's Got Talent competition for budding broadcasters to pitch their radio ideas to professionals. This was it. Our chance to speak directly to the pros and leave an impression. Then it was simply type up the contracts, signed and sealed. Jobs for life in radio. Easy, right? We booked a booth at the local Weatherspoons and conference called our now mentor, Jono. He was happy to hear from us and reminded us not to be long as he was in a rush. One hour and twelve minutes later, we got our point across and got some advice on how to approach this competition. We had a regular feature on our programme called Would You Rather, in which myself and Dom would debate on what we would prefer to do given a couple of choices. Example, would you rather have chips for lips or pies for eyes? Then we would delve into the practicalities of having lips made from potato or a meat substituted for eyeballs. It was a good feature and one our listeners liked, so it must be a winner, surely. We submitted our idea and within ten minutes got a reply to say we had progressed to the live shows. It felt like the X Factor minus Dermot O'Leary and the singing and Gary Barlow and just about everything else, but we didn't care. We also found out in the email that Jono, our mentor, would be on the chuffing judging panel. Judas, Dom screamed. Traitor, I replied, and Antonio's fell silent. We were asked to leave by the Iranian owner. We needed a new internet cafe, but this wasn't the immediate problem. We had to prepare a pitch and present it to our mentor, something that made us nervous. Then we found out who would be sitting next to him in the panel. I stained my pants and Dom was physically sick in the middle of the pavement. It was a mess and so were we. Nicholas Parsons. The two words I will never forget. We had to get this right. It was imperative we nailed this pitch down to a T. So what's the best thing a future radio duo can do when confronted with this scenario? Have a fight on Platform 2 at Bradford Interchange train station. Nice. If there's one thing me and Dom have got in abundance, it's passion. If there's a second, it's being creative. And if there's a third, it's sheer Bradford stubbornness. Combine them all, and what's the result? A driving force in radio broadcasting? No, a scrap on a train platform. I'll try and be brief, as there are a lot of issues and intricacies to it. I wanted to act out the feature as if we were live on air in front of the judges. Dom wanted to describe the feature, how it would work and with what type of audience. Two completely contrasting ideas and one 40-minute train journey to sort it out. We didn't. To be continued. In case you were in a hole last night, Bradford beat Arsenal to progress into the semi-finals of the Capital One Cup and three games away from playing in Europe next year. We're in League Two. I won't bore you with our amazing penalty record or how Arsenal haven't beaten us at Valley Parade for 90 years. I won't bore you with that. We recorded our show with Alan Davis. It went really well, and I'll be sure to let you know when you can listen to it. 
One day, it will be one of my little stories in these emails. One day in the very distant future. Part 10. Offending Nicholas Parsons, OBE. Hi, amazing FFT. The train journey was horrific. Really bad. I can break the 40-minute journey down into four easy-to-understand segments. The first 10 minutes, arguing like cat and dog. The second 10 minutes, sat in silence. The third 10 minutes, trying to resolve our differences. The fourth 10 minutes, just like the first 10 minutes. We weren't getting anywhere, so eventually, like the true man in this scenario, I conceded defeat and we decided to pitch the idea Dom's way. We arrived, as always, way earlier than necessary, so we did the right thing and went for a 10am beer, as you do. One pint soon turned into three, and before you knew it, we were debating long and hard at the intricacies of Bradford's lack of shots during the season, let alone goals. Early soon became late, as we sprinted over to the Lowry, the venue of Radio's Got Talent at Salford Quays. We were very late, but like any typical radio event, so were they, and we had time to kill. Whilst waiting for the inevitable, we bumped into an old friend, Jonathan Pinfield. I will be dedicating a whole email to JP later down the line, as he is such a rare find. JP was, and still is, the broadcast manager at Bradford Community Radio, and is quite the individual. To put it in perspective, he's the only person I know who has a catchphrase that is used on a regular basis. He is also the third Jonathan on our journey. That's if you've been following thus far. Having JP there also meant one thing. Something wasn't right. We soon concluded that the amount of entries into this contest must have been poor and scraping the barrel from Bradford was their only resolution. There were only 10 acts there and we presumed maybe 20 applied in total. This though in a weird way made us even more nervous as the three pints in my belly started moving. Dom was also bricking it at this point. We had no choice. We had to go for it and that's exactly what we did. It was our turn to pitch and sat in front of us were three judges. The boss of commercial radio outfit Global Radio UK Limited, our mentor and BBC Five Live Sports editor Jono, and finally a very stern-looking Nicholas Parsons. THE Nicholas Parsons. We started with a gag about not being Dick and Dom and how we should stand the correct way around like Ant and Deck. Nobody laughed. Then we went on to explain the format of the show and how it would work with an audience. It was question time, and first up was Nicholas Parsons' OBE. He asked if we thought the show had sustainability. I replied with a laugh and said the show's middle name was Sustain. Nicholas went quiet, slowly sat back in his chair, took off his glasses and started to chew the arm. Dom then felt the need to fill the silence and replied, Come on, Nick, it wasn't that bad. He didn't say anything. Then Jono offered a suggestion on how we should have presented the pitch. He should have acted out the feature like it was on radio. If I had two bullets, I would have shot Dom straight in the head, then myself. We walked slowly back to our seats and placed our heads firmly in our laps. It was the worst day of our broadcasting lives, and wouldn't be the last. We managed to see Nicholas afterwards and apologised over a handshake. We saw Jono again too, and for the third time in six months, he compared us to an unpolished diamond. We still didn't know what he meant. The train journey home was surprisingly less argumentative. We did agree on one thing, though, that insulting famous people with OBEs would not get us the broadcasting jobs we so desire. To be continued. Part 11. 
The podcast was going from strength to strength, as was the radio show we produced. It was going so well, we were attracting local interest from big players in the radio industry. Derm was a long-term friend and our old boss from when we both worked as broadcast assistants for West Yorkshire Sport at BBC Radio Leeds. We both worked there for roughly two years and learned the ropes as media professionals before wanting to carve out a career as broadcasters. The local interest then didn't actually exist and something we were deluding ourselves with at the time. But a meeting with Derm might make these delusions a reality. After tough negotiations at Café Fontana's, our new watering hole, they didn't have Wi-Fi, we managed to get a meeting with Derm for the following week in a local bar near the radio station. A bar. This was our second, maybe third meeting in a bar about possible career opportunities, and drink was firmly off the menu. Derm was, and still is, a lovely guy, a true Yorkshire gent, and saw something in us that nobody else did. The thought of this scared us. We arranged to meet at lunch, and me and Dom were both starving. But at the same time, we have this underlying issue of extreme politeness. The kind of issue English men and women up and down the country have. We couldn't possibly eat food in front of Derm at a meeting, and the worst bit, he wanted to pay. This was a big no-no, and yet he insisted he pay for our lunch. We politely declined, and whilst Derm sat down with a bacon and brie ciabatta with American-style fries, we sat opposite, about to embark on what felt like famine. We were ravenous. I could hear and feel Dom's food rumblings from the off, and the dulcet tones in his lower stomach only added to the crippling starvation pains my belly was feeling. It was a nightmare scenario, and we just could not concentrate as Derm took the third bite into his ciabatta. We knew the meeting would be a marathon, yet out of sheer politeness, we were ready to pass out on the table at the Slug and Lettuce and die from lack of nutrients. The meeting went on for what felt like 27 months. It was, in fact, an hour and a bit. Ideas were aplenty from Derm, but myself and Dom couldn't find an ounce of energy to react. We suggested a few half-hearted things that Derm liked, but I found myself just staring at the scraps left on his plate. That ciabatta crust and bacon rind were the only things keeping me sane and as the meeting drew to a close we were booked in for the recording of a pilot show to test out our presenting skills. We sprinted from the bar with whatever energy we could muster to the nearest Greggs and bought every single sausage roll in sight. Seventeen to be precise. Greggs could have confidently closed that day after we paid them a visit. They made their day's takings by 1.30pm. Then it dawned on us. We had just agreed to record a pilot show for BBC Radio Leeds, and we hadn't a clue what we were doing. We need not panic, though, as this was local BBC, and Derm had arranged for us to meet Andy Evans, second in command at BBC Yorkshire. He would surely have everything laid out for us. We then had to simply sit down, be ourselves, and record. As with everything we've attempted in the past, this would be easy a walk in the broadcasting park, over Korea Bridge and through the woodland of opportunity. The recording was on a Monday morning, which was weird. The busiest news day of the week, one would argue. We met Andy Evans in the cafe above the station and sat down to talk about what we were about to do. He didn't have a clue what was going on, not the foggiest. He had prepped nothing and had failed to book a studio for the pilot, never even heard our material before and, to be honest, looked downright confused. 
Being the masters of delusion, though, myself and Dom knew we could pull this off, and after some jiggling around of time slots, we were sat ready to go in Studio 2 at BBC Radio Leeds. Then we got handed the script. To be continued. Part 12 Scripts were never going to be a good thing for me and Dom, especially when we've had no input on writing them. As we sat in Studio 2, though, the thought of scripts became ever more present. As each minute passed before we went live, the studio started to fill with various types of people, of whom we didn't know. The news guy waltzed in like he came straight from London Fashion Week. The producer swivelled in his chair like he'd done this a million times before, and the weather girl applying lipstick in the corner, well, just made us feel downright awkward. We weren't comfortable, and all of our delusional confidence had leapt out of that fourth-floor studio onto the icy pavements of Leeds below. We had a quick browse of the content of these scripts, and on first sight they didn't look too bad. Something about school uniforms, a sunbathing guinea pig, a couple celebrating their 80th wedding anniversary, and then the big one, the headline, and following piece that would throw us the biggest curveball in our short-lived broadcasting lives. Child rape. How the chuff are we going to do this without sounding sarcastic? We were good at humour, and subjects like this just scared us. We had to record something, and like any true Yorkshireman would have done, carried on regardless. What ensued was a great big Yorkshire mess. I stuttered and stammered my way through every piece, and Dom spoke faster than the speed of light, to the amazement of the news reporter Gokwan Wannabe. That was the fourth time in a year that we had left a studio feeling like we'd been shafted from behind by Mike Tyson, then spun around each in turn and slapped across the face with his dangly bits. It was not a nice feeling, and one we will learn from. Ever since, we've never gone near a studio, news desk, script, and by heck have we felt the benefit. We've gone from strength to strength thanks to that god-awful pilot. P.S. I've just bought me dad an FFT subscription for Christmas in the hope that before his eyes get too bad he'll be able to see his son inside its covers one day. Part 13 BBC Radio Leeds could have been seen as a missed opportunity but to us it was a blessing in disguise and showed us how not to do radio. Another person who was inexplicably brilliant at showing us how not to do radio was a certain Jonathan Pinfield. He was the first of the Jonathans we came to meet throughout our journey, and probably the best, not because he brought with him amazing opportunities or chances. He was unique, individual, and to be blunt, downright weird. Jonathan was the broadcast manager at Bradford Community Broadcast, or BCB Radio for short. I first met him when I was a young, inexperienced 19-year-old undergraduate. He interviewed me for a chance to volunteer at the station. This was my first JP as he referred to himself, experience, and one I will never forget. The interview was more like an interrogation. It was like I was preparing myself for a position to head the country into a nuclear arms race. Questions ranged from the downright pointless, if you could be any fruit, what would you be? To the absurdly stupid. Why are we here exactly? I even remember being asked what radio stood for. I just laughed, and I think that was the correct answer. Dom went through a similar process when getting a job as a reporter. I too applied for the job, but you had to live in Bradford. At this point, JP offered for me to live at his flat whilst the process went through. I had a wife and the thought of moving into a flat with a middle-aged man with long hair and a catchphrase petrified me. Oh yeah, 
the catchphrase. Not only did JP refer to himself in third person most of the time, he also had a catchphrase. It went something like this. In fact, exactly like this. That's showbiz, with the elongated O sound going on for longer than ever necessary. He used this catchphrase roughly 74 times in a day, usually when some sort of complaint came his way that he couldn't handle as a broadcast manager. For example, JP, this microphone doesn't work. That showbiz! JP, we've had a complaint about a listener regarding a possible racist comment. That showbiz! JP, someone has brought a dead emu into one of the studios. That, well, I think you get the picture. I genuinely think he thought that's how the pros handled it in the real media world. We heard the catchphrase a lot, as pretty much after every one of our shows, someone would complain about our content. JP would then discipline us in the only way he could, by firing the catchphrase at us on repeat. It worked, as to avoid the inevitable, we stuck to the BCB rules that one day would make us leave the station for good. Chapter to come. I call him weird, but weird in a somewhat endearing fashion. He couldn't help but either A, feel sorry for him, or B, love him for being who he was. We usually fell into the former, and now and again into the latter. He pretty much applied for every job we went for as well, and still to this day remains as broadcast manager at BCB Radio. He will always be there. BCB Radio is JP, and the greatest respect will always go out to the Jonathan we will never forget. Q, take that, never forget. Part to 14. be continued. Good morning, people. We bumped into JP a lot on our travels within the media sphere. He seemed to be going for the same interviews and jobs as us, and inadvertently this made us competition. Although with JP we had no worries. As soon as the pros heard his catchphrase, they will have evacuated the area quickly. One of these chance meetings was in Salford Quays in Manchester at the Lowry, whilst Media City was being built. Myself and Dom had the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with the professionals with the chance of possible job offers. The idea was that you sat at tables opposite the professional you'd been paired with and had 15 minutes to sell yourself. Panic time. We decided to go on the train so we could brainstorm on the journey and opted not to have a fight on the platform this time, instead going for the friendly approach. We had 40 minutes to hatch a game plan. We didn't hatch a plan and instead spent the whole journey laughing at an idea we had for a comedy sketch on a train. One day we'll film it and YouTube it, and it will definitely not go global. It's no one-pound fish video, put it that way. We arrived in Manchester with time to kill, so, as per usual, we headed to the nearest bar. Lime bar, to be precise. We chatted and chuckled away because we do actually get on, to our heart's delight. Then, before we knew anything, it was 2pm. 2pm! Our meetings were at 2pm, and we still had to walk to get there. The walk was in fact a mad sprint across Salford Quays to the Lowry. We arrived at 2.03pm. I say we. Dom arrived at 2.03pm. I was three minutes later than that, as I don't really do running. Luckily, in true BBC fashion, they were behind schedule, and we found ourselves sat at a table waiting to go into the large hall. Whilst waiting and twiddling our now sweaty thumbs, we got chatting to a guy who looked important. We chatted away about our radio show and the Bradford City podcast, and it was nice to see someone interested. His name escapes me, but his position will never leave me mind. We finished the conversation, and Dom leaned over to me. Do you know who that was? 
Nope, I replied. He's the producer of Match of the Day. I was flabbergasted, gobsmacked and could not believe our luck. Thank the Lord we'd just spent 30 quid on the worst ever business cards from Stax because he had one in his hand. That wasn't the last time we met the producer of Match of the Day and it wasn't the last time we resorted to Stax for our business cards. These will all come down the line. Now we were late. The chat had cost us 20 minutes and we realised we now had only 5 minutes with our respective professionals. There was a 50-foot staircase between our future at the BBC and by God we were going to scale it. Dom morphed into Jessica Ennis and I miraculously turned into Colin Jackson as the stairs beneath our feet were demolished through sheer pace. In reality, I did stop halfway to half an aneurysm. We burst into the large hallway door and everyone in their meetings fell silent. We definitely made our entrance, albeit in the style of two firemen looking for bodies. To be continued. In case you're wondering, every single email is written every day from scratch. I'm not taking this from a book, just my useless memory. Villa in the semi-finals of the Capital One Cup. Nice little peg on your feature, that. Part 15. As the giant hall at the Lowry fell silent, we just froze. Now was the time to say something witty and intelligent, the chance to leave our mark on this captive audience of BBC professionals. Instead, Dom just let out a wimpish, Sorry we're late. A young lady then escorted us to some seats, as a few groans could be heard in the distance. This wasn't the best start we could have had, and it got worse. After waiting for roughly 30 seconds, I got called up to go and see a lady called Shelley Alexander. She worked in sport in the community and had various other complicated roles that were beyond me. My plan was simple. Make the lady laugh, and in theory, she will remember you. I opened with where I was from, which is always a good icebreaker. People see Bradford as one of those cities they would happily never visit, which made it perfect ammo for me. Luckily for me, Shelley was brilliant, and to this day still is. Such a lovely lady, and honestly has nothing I can make a joke about her from. Just downright niceness, like the nicest auntie you have multiplied by ten. Dom, on the other hand, in his meeting, got a guy named Hepburn. Hepburn. A man with a name like that isn't going to be a shrinking violet, and by God, he was nuts. He pretty much tore Dom a new bumhole with the simple use of words and body language. To be fair to Dom, he handled him well. As I have witnessed firsthand, he gives as good as he gets. Hepburn was a BBC contact we have happily forgotten, and to this day, I wonder which young innocent media graduate is getting the brunt of his hilarious wit and proficient people skills. He was a knob. My meeting went so well with Shelley, she called us both over to her table and requested to see the duo in action. I don't exactly know what she meant, and at the time, I don't think Dom did either. So, we just did what we do best. Talk. We're into the next person's meeting by a good 40 minutes. We weren't bothered, and neither was Shelley, laughing her socks off and clapping at any sign of humour. I never confessed to myself and Dom being comedians by any stretch, but acting like a married couple can be amusing at times. We left the meeting on a monumental high. Shelley promised us some work in the near future and put our names in her phone. That was a big deal for us, as it meant she saw something many people had failed to see in a long, long time. The train journey home was excellent. We sang Ollie Murs and down cans of Relentless to worrying glances of Tuesday afternoon commuters. But we couldn't give a monkeys. It was the progressive era of our broadcasting lives. Part 16 Happy New Year! 
Shelley Alexander would not only turn out to be the nicest person to ever exist, but also a valuable contact in our BBC career paths. She was like our mother hen, and I would often imagine her swaddling us as very young broadcast brothers and sending us out into the world. She lined up our first ever job for the BBC back in the summer of 2011. We were tasked with teaching school groups how to use video recording equipment at Manchester United's old training facility, The Cliff. As was the norm now, we had a few problems. The first problem wasn't a big issue, but it did test us. We had carved out a part-time career as audio broadcasters, and they wanted us to use video to teach the kids interview techniques. We were flexible, though, and took it in our stride, until they told us we had to separate. Split up for the first time. Ever. Imagine Ant with no deck, Barker with no Corbett, Rosie with no Jim, Hull with no Emu. This was Fletcher with no Newton Collinge, and just because it didn't roll off the tongue, it was still a major problem. We did what any potential broadcasters would do, though. We demanded to speak to the event's organiser, a nice young lady called Lindsay. On first meeting Lindsay, though, she did something that threw us a curveball. She hugged us. This was weird. We'd never met this woman, yet she felt the need to approach us like old school friends. We didn't know how to react. Dom stood there like a totem pole, and I froze up in the similar shape to a wheelie bin. It can't have been a good experience for her, and I think she got the message in terms of body language. We were both far too thrown by this endearing hello that we just stood there, nodded our heads and agreed to go individual, splitting the duo apart. Luckily, we were given two helpers each. We were told to take charge. The truth is, we decided to take charge, as the guys we were put with were useless, and we set up our equipment ready for the kids. This is going to be a doddle. Chat to a few kids, show them the ropes, and hey presto, job done. Then we saw the queue of kids outside the training facility. We nearly fainted. Dom ran to get bottles of Lucozade, and I started tucking into me ham sandwiches. We were going to need as much energy as physically possible. To be continued. Sorry it's been so long since the last email, Christmas and all that. Bradford are playing Villa on Tuesday. Any Villa fans in the office fancy putting their oar in on our podcast, feel free to get in touch. We're hoping for a chat with Steve Staunton later too. Looking forward to your reply. Hello, are you there? Yes, you, listening to this drivel. You've made it to the end of this chapter. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you for downloading Chapter 2 of the story of Tom and Dom so far. Keep your eyes on bantamsbanter.com for further chapters to download. (laughs) 